pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your kind grace in our lives, for the salvation that we can enjoy in this life because of your Son. Pray that you would remind us of truth as we go throughout each and every day, that we would be uh, mindful of what you command us in your word, that we would not obey out of a sense of duty, but out of a love and an affection for our Savior and his accomplished work for us in life and in death. And we pray that the hope that we have personally would affect those around us, that we would be quick to share the love of Christ with those that we interact with and the hope of the gospel that we have. I pray that even specifically as we talk about our children's profession of faith at a young age in our homes and our families tonight, that you would help us to have wisdom, that you would uh, enable us to guide them through those things in life in a way that serves them well and, and is even helpful for our own hearts as we work through that. So I pray that you would give me wisdom and clarity and uh, that you would just help us in this time together. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> All right, so family worship. What do you guys think? How are you doing? Thoughts from this week? <clears throat> Somebody want to share what you do for family worship? What do you guys do? Um, we just started this um, book. Or it's kind of like a, oh shoot, what's it called now? I knew you were going to ask me. It's okay. I don't even know. It's like, a, it's like the, the greatest story ever told kind of thing. But it's like a storybook. Yeah. Sharon. AJ, I saw your hand up. You didn't catch it. All right. Um, no, it's been good. We've just been uh, keeping it simple, starting with just uh, reading a psalm. And I was surprised how much older, you know, our two year old immediately started, like, we did it like two days in a row. And she was like, All right, when we're going to read our psalm. Nice. Psalm, daddy, psalm. Psalm. <laughs> like, oh, right. Yeah. That's, yep. Yeah. So yeah, they the discussion is so so. Yeah. But, yeah. That's okay. Um, so she's coming around to that. But uh, but now just reading the you know quick psalm and praying with her real quick because yeah she really yeah, let's pray for the day. Okay, I'm ready. So yeah, she really got into it pretty quickly. So that was that was kind of good. That's great. Keep it up.
Anyone else? I'd say one thing. I won't be the only talking, but when we were at that age, because that was about maybe Kirkland was a little bit older than two, but when we started, it got kind of discouraging when they're that young because it's really hard for them to understand a lot of things. And so I, you know, just making sure my heart was, I did a lot more of just reading through something maybe I read during the day, mm -hmm. and that encouraged me more to keep at it at that age. Yeah. And that's part of why it kind of slacks, because at that age, it's, it gets discouraging to yeah. pay attention and listen like you think they should. Okay. Yeah, I think like we talked about last week, it's okay for it to be short, yeah. but it's also okay for you to demand their attention. You know, they need to learn to sit well. And like even like you talked about, AJ, she's excited to do it. So feed off that excitement, you know, take advantage of that. <clears throat> but somebody on this side of the room. Thanks, yeah. Justin. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, well, first of all, I think after Wednesday, my thought was, you know, we've never really done this as a family very, pretty much ever for the most part, I would say. So I kind of wanted to um, have a, a good plan. So I was like, I'm going to spend time, you know, through the week and through the weekend, and then start Monday, we're going to we're gonna, I'm going to have a, a lesson, like a seven-day lesson. That's what I told you not to do. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I like to have a plan, right? So, so uh, yeah, so Monday hit, and uh, we got the kids, you know, it was before bedtime. It was like, they usually go to bed at 8.30, so it was like 7.30 after dinner, six, dinner six bed at 8.30, so at 7.30 I was like, okay, you know, let's get everyone together. So we got everyone together, sat on the couch, and uh, and I established some ground rules, you know, <laughs> mouth closed, ears open kind of thing, you know? <laughs> and my son, he's got a hand puppet, and he's chomping on my face with his hand puppet, and he says, does Sean have to keep his mouth closed? <laughs> <laughs> and she's over there. I'm like covering my face. <laughs> <laughs> So, they, <laughs> they weren't taking things seriously, and uh, I had to start, you know, threatening discipline if they didn't behave, and so I think that kind of turned their happy mood into a not-so-happy mood, <laughs> which led into, you know, so we did the lesson, and then... You know, I asked if I wanted to pray about anything, but didn't really say anything. So I prayed that I wasn't probably very happy in my heart at that point either. <laughs> and then uh, nobody was pretty much happy at that point. <laughs> I was like, do we even, do we even sing? You know? Yes, because I had played the song. <laughs> that was my job. <laughs> so, but yeah, when Melissa started singing, the kids started singing and it kind of turned their hearts around. It didn't really help my heart necessarily. But, yeah. That's great. Lots of room for improvement. Yeah. <laughs> well, you just made all of us feel better. Yeah, that's good. Don't let it discourage you. Keep it up. Even when it's hard, keep it up. It'll get easier. It was the greatest story. Just so you know. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Good. Thanks, Bethany. <clears throat> Good. All right. Well, thank, thank you guys for sharing. I appreciate it. Tonight, we're going to be talking about, as you can see on your notes, your child's profession of faith. I think through the years of parenting young children, this was something that Julie and I wrestled with especially early on. 
As our older three children uh, have all made professions of faith at a young age, which I think is somewhat normal for kids that are growing up in Christian homes and in the church. Um, Several years ago, Julie and I went through this book by Dennis Gunderson titled Your Child's Profession of Faith. And it was really helpful for us to think through what he talked about in the book concerning how we should handle as parents a child who professes faith in Christ at a young age. So really most of what we'll talk about tonight I stole from him. So if you read the book, you'll hear what I have to say more than likely. Um, But I trust that it will provide you with some insight and wisdom as you work through this in the years to come. If you aren't already or haven't already worked through it with some of your own kids. And remember, we're called to faithfulness in our parenting. And if we're being faithful as parents in the stewardship that God has entrusted to us in our little ones, then our children are hearing the gospel on a regular basis. We're engaging in family worship together where the truths of Scripture are being read and talked about and applied to our daily lives. And I would also hope that we are making church a priority in the life of our family. When we have opportunities to gather as the church, we should have our family here. If these two things are prioritized, then our children are learning Scripture. We're teaching it in the home, and it's being reinforced in their hearts as they participate in things like Sunday school and kids club and kids church, and even big church, maybe for some of them. Our kids will know the Bible, and they will have an understanding of the gospel. So is it possible for a young child to be saved? And if so, then what does saving faith look like in the heart of a young child? These are good questions for us to ask as parents. So by a show of hands, how many of you believe that you were saved under the age of 18? Okay, how about the age of 14? How about under under the age of 10? about under the age of six. Okay, so I think even just doing that brief survey shows us that kids can be saved, right? It's a good thing. I remember, for me, you were in Grace Life on Sunday, first hour, you heard a brief testimony from me, but I remember living in Geneva, Nebraska, and I was around six years old. We were attending church there in Geneva, and I remember one Sunday morning in Sunday school class, my teacher shared the gospel and asked if any of us wanted to respond to the gospel, and I remember praying with her at the end of class, and I truly believe that that was the moment that the Spirit changed my heart. He applied Christ's righteousness to me. Jesus took my sin upon himself And I know that my sin was completely paid for by Christ, and I was fully forgiven that day. But the next several years of childhood looked like me being an ordinary, everyday child. I can remember questioning and even doubting my salvation at times. I can remember re-praying and asking God to save me again as I grew older and my sin became more real to me. I was growing and maturing in my understanding of the gospel and my sensitivity to sin, but I still truly believe that I was saved that Sunday morning in a little evangelical free church in Geneva, Nebraska. But even as a child growing up, I struggled to know if the faith I had that day to believe was genuine saving faith. And this was maybe true for many of us, And it may be the reality for many of our children as well as they grow up in Christian homes and in the church. So what does the Bible have to say about the faith of a child? I want us to take a look into the life of the early church in the book of Acts, just kind of an aerial view. I think we'll find some interesting observations there that the Apostle Luke recorded for us that will give us some insight into this. Remember, in the book of Acts, people are being saved by the thousands. Jesus' ministry on earth is just finished. 
His life, death, resurrection, and ascension have already taken place. And the apostles are doing the work that he commanded them to do upon his departure in both Matthew 28 and Acts 1 of preaching his gospel both locally and abroad and making disciples of all people. Jesus' disciples have been empowered by the Spirit of God and they are going to the nations and preaching the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people are being saved in mass quantities. But what does Luke's recording of the early church have to say about children being saved? I want us to look first at Acts 5.14. You're welcome to turn there with me. Acts 5.14. Just a few key verses that I want to highlight for you. Acts 5.14 says, And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. So here in this verse, we see that both men and women are specifically mentioned as converts in the early church. If you flip to Acts 8, verse 3, Acts 8, 3, it says, Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Here we see that both men and women specifically were put in prison by Saul for their outspoken faith in Christ. And look down a little bit to chapter 8 and verse 12. It says, But when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. So again, both men and women specifically being mentioned as being baptized after believing in Christ for salvation. Chapter 9, verses 1 through 2 says, But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So again, Saul is dragging both men and women specifically to prison for professing and belonging to Christ. You can turn to Acts 22, verse 4. The Apostle Paul, after his conversion, says, I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. So again here, Paul specifically mentions men and women being those who were persecuted for their faith by being bound and put in prison. Acts chapter 16, we see a couple of verses where Luke talks about whole households being baptized upon conversion. The first one is in Acts 16, verse 15, after Lydia's conversion. And Luke records, and after she, Lydia, was baptized and her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So Lydia's heart is open to the truth. She's baptized upon her conversion. And it says her household as well. A household in this time would have most likely included father, mother, children, grandparents, and possibly even some extended family members. But Luke doesn't record specifically here that children were saved. Could there have been? Yes. But they aren't recorded specifically. A little further on, In chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison, praying and singing. God miraculously frees them from their bonds, and the doors are opened. The jailer wants to know how he can be saved. Then in verse 31 and following, it says, And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household 
that he had believed in God. So here again, we see household used in verse 31, that those of the jailer's family were all saved and were all baptized. Again, this most likely could have included children, but they're not specifically mentioned here in this verse. There are 22 references to small children in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. But none of these references speak of children being disciples or followers of Christ. So can young children be saved? I believe so. Yes. But I think the point from this view of the early church is that we should make every effort to evangelize our young children. They are lost sinners in need of a savior. We should not rush them or hurry them into making a profession of faith in Christ, which we prompt them to in our own words and not from their own heart. And that's really the point. Should we evangelize them? Yes. Should we be teaching them about God's holiness, the depravity of man, the atoning work of Christ, and what awaits us after this life? Yes. But we cannot and we must not force them into praying a prayer, a prayer that is made up of words that we tell them to say, and then give them the assurance that they're good to go. So your first, your second main point there, our greatest concern as parents. Our greatest concern, and we've talked about this, is the heart of our child being changed by the truth of the gospel. What does your child need most? They need Jesus. They need the eyes of their heart to be open to the truth of the gospel. They don't need some watered-down version of truth. They don't need some false assurance that a prayer they were told to pray had some magical power to save them. They need us as their parents to be honest with them. They need us to take them to the Bible and show them the path to life. They need to see that faith isn't words that we say or a prayer that we pray, but rather genuine saving faith is a heart that is surrendered to God's ways, to his plan. A heart that recognizes its true condition, total depravity. A heart that trusts in Christ and what he has done for them. The life he lived and the death he died was for everyone who would believe. Faith isn't something that happens at one moment in time and then is no longer seen, right? Faith acts. A profession of faith without a life being changed is not genuine saving faith. We see this in James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. We know works don't save you. They can't save you. But true saving faith works. A life of good works is the result of saving faith. And these are good works that God has planned for the believer. So parents, what is your greatest concern? If we were to be a fly on the wall in your room, of your house, in the room of your house, what, what would we see as your greatest concern in the life of your family? Is it that your children would know the gospel, be transformed by the gospel, and live a life of faith in him now while they are young? Parents, we must not try to force a confession of Christ out of the mouth of our children, but instead, with a desire to be faithful, we must instruct and exhort our children to seek the Lord now, even while they are young. Remember Deuteronomy 6 from week 1? Faithfulness in parenting looks like teaching and instructing them every moment of every day. A heart that has been genuinely changed by the gospel even in the heart of a child, can't help but express its own confession of praise and thanks. It won't need to be forced by us as parents. Next, things to consider about your child. Some specific things to consider. 
intellectual immaturity. Intellectual immaturity. Gunderson in his book says, A child's thinking is undeveloped and simple, often even simplistic. That is to say, a child sees and thinks about things with an incorrect degree of simplicity. It should surprise no one to hear that a child's thinking is undeveloped and simple, even to the point of foolishly assessing things. And when an individual's thinking is immature, regardless of the reason it is immature, even if through no fault of his own, being youthful, inexperienced, with much yet to be learned, this should at least render us cautious to receive his words expressing commitment to almost anything. Yes, that even includes statements from him that he is ready to commit to following Christ. So how much would you say a 10-year-old understands about commitment? So our youngest is nine. And there's no way in the world that I would encourage her to pursue marriage to one of the boys in her class at this age, right? She doesn't understand the level of commitment that marriage takes. She has a child's understanding of life. She's naive. She's foolish. She's immature. And those things aren't necessarily bad in themselves. That's just part of being a child. We read in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. 1 Corinthians 13 is a chapter on the supremacy of love over spiritual giftedness, but that doesn't change the fact that here in verse 11, we find a simple biblical statement about a fundamental difference between children and adults. A child is one whose thinking, speaking, and apprehension of things is generally less mature than that of an adult. A child speaks less maturely than most adults. A child thinks less maturely than most adults. A child's reasoning skills are less mature than those of most adults. So parents, understand that the ability for your child to make a commitment to following Christ is not impossible, but it is affected by their intellectual immaturity. Next, another thing we must consider about our children is their changeableness and instability. Their changeableness and instability. Paul says in Ephesians 4.14, No longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. So what does this verse tell us about children? They're easily swayed, right? Paul is making the observation that this is a characteristic that is generally found in children, but must not be in us as followers of Christ. So if you went to your children today and told them that you no longer believed that Jesus Christ was the way of salvation, because of that you would no longer be attending GBC, but you would rather be joining the Mormon church down the road. And your pattern of life and teaching in the home backed up what you just said. Do you think they would take you seriously? I think depending on their age, yeah, definitely. Most of them would probably conform to our new thoughts and ways of religion. That Paul made this exhortation to members of the Ephesian church shows that we, just like children, can be easily swayed in what we believe. If you are a parent, you know that what Paul says here in Ephesians 4.14 about children is true. And so we must keep this in mind as we consider a child's profession of faith in Christ. Again, can a child be saved? Yes. I do believe that with all my heart. But to rush a child into making a public profession of faith in hopes that it proves to be genuine sometime later is foolish for us to think as parents. The third thing we must consider about our children is that they are easily deceived. Easily deceived. Again, in Ephesians 4.14, Paul says there at the end, by human cunning, 
by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Satan is crafty in deception. And the heart of man, apart from Christ, is only full of lies and deception. It doesn't take much for a child to be easily influenced by the trickery and the crafty deceit of man. This is why we emphasized as parents over and over again with our children at a young age that if a stranger ever approached them and bribed them to go with them or to get in their car, that they needed to turn and run. Children can be so easily deceived by the craftiness and deceitful schemes of man. Proverbs 22.15 says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. The heart of a child is foolish. Children are easily deceived. Parents, don't deceive your children into a false assurance of salvation by trying to convince them that they are saved because of their ability to answer the questions in Sunday school. You should definitely encourage them in their knowledge of the truth, but don't deceive them into a false assurance. So keep those three things in mind as you work through a profession of faith that your child may make at a young age. Intellectual immaturity, changeableness and instability, and they are easily deceived. Next, cultivate your child's heart. We as parents have been given the opportunity to spend around 18 years cultivating the hearts of our children. We must view childhood as a time of preparation, not completion. A season of immaturity, not maturity. A time of seed planting, not mature fruit bearing. Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is what we're instructed to do as parents. But the reality is, we may not know if the things that we have trained our children in are the path that they will continue on in life until they're older. Have the seeds of truth that we've planted in their hearts taken root unto salvation? It is unlikely that we will see any finality in the path in the life that that our children are headed down until they are older when they have entered into those teen years. This may be helpful criteria for us as parents. When I can tell that my child has self-consciously felt the tug and attraction of the world, and yet for Jesus' sake has refused it, this to me shows that their heart has made a commitment to following Christ. This has been helpful for me over the years. When I can tell that my child has self-consciously felt the tug an attraction of the world, and yet for Jesus' sake has refused it. This to me shows that their heart has made a commitment to following Christ. When our children have reached an age of sufficient maturity and are faced with the freedom of having to make spiritual decisions on their own, we will begin to see if they have a love for Jesus or a love for the things of this world. So dad and mom, we have such a short window of time with our children. We must take advantage of every opportunity and make the most of the time that we have now to train our children and to cultivate their hearts. Our main priority as parents is to use this season of time with our kids to teach, train, and instruct their hearts in obedience. Remember, in Ephesians 6.1 and Colossians 3.20, children are commanded by God to obey their parents. And as we teach them to obey us, we are also teaching them what it looks like to obey their Heavenly Father. As we plant seeds of the gospel in the hearts of our children, teaching them what obedience is and how they glorify God through their obedience, we are being faithful to do what God has commanded us to do. God doesn't expect us to force a confession of faith out of the mouth of our children. God instructs us to train their heart in obedience. Does this mean that we don't pray regularly for the salvation of our children and earnestly urge them to come to Christ, to trust in the Savior, to turn from their sins and their own self-righteousness, and to seek to gain the righteousness of Christ through faith in Him? We must be doing those things. 
but we must be patient as, as we wait to allow the Spirit to work in their hearts unto salvation. You see the difference? We must be faithful to teach, but we must also be patient and wait for the Spirit to work. So, what are signs of genuine saving faith? Signs of genuine saving faith. What should we be looking for in the life of our child if they profess faith in Christ? I would say the same markers that we would look for in an adult who professes faith in Christ. Gunderson in his book gives four signs of genuine saving faith that we should be looking for. I want to share those with you tonight. Number one, sound profession of belief in Christ. A sound profession of belief in Christ. Romans 10, 9, and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. There is no salvation without this confession that Jesus is the Son of God who came for sinners. Through his bodily death, taking the punishment for sin, And having been raised from the dead, he is alive today. The confession can be as simple as this. I'm a sinner. I trust Christ alone for salvation. He died for my sins and he lives again. But the point is, what one has believed in their heart, they won't be able to help but confess it with their mouth. The Bible is clear. There is no salvation without a clear confession. Number two, affectionate love for Christ. Affectionate love for Christ. Does your child delight in the Lord? Do they desire the things of the Lord? Is there a hunger for God? Do they seek to commune with him through prayer and seek to know him through his word without you making them do these things? When a person says they love someone or something, they will make every effort to spend time with that person or with that thing. And the same is true when one says they have a love for Christ. They will desire to, and they will make every effort to, be with Him. And this love for Christ will be the natural result of saving faith. We must teach our kids that when they trust in Christ alone for salvation the result of that will be a love for him with their whole life. An affectionate love for Christ is evidence of saving faith. Number three, determination to obediently follow Christ. The simplest way for you to see if your child is determined to follow Christ in obedience is to see if they eagerly, humbly, willingly obey you as mom and dad. How does your child respond to instruction from the authorities that God has placed in their life? When corrected or instructed according to truth, is it welcomed and responded to in a humble, receptive way? When your child learns something from God's word while in kids' ministry or youth ministry at church, do they talk to you about it and then pursue to apply that truth to their life out of a love for God? For one who is genuinely saved, this will be their desire. They will have a determination to obediently follow Christ. I can say just in the life of our own son, Hunter, this has been one of the markers that has been evident to me of saving faith. So when I tell him he's in sin, he responds humbly. And he accepts that correction. And he desires to move on in a way that honors the Lord. And that's been encouraging to me as a father to see that in in Hunter specifically. Number four, decisive rejection of the reign of sin. This is simply repentance. When one makes a decisive decision to obediently follow Christ, they will also be choosing to reject the sin which no longer has them in chains. Will sin still be present? We still sin, don't we? We shouldn't expect our children not to. 
But when one has been saved, they will be sensitive to their sin. They will understand God's forgiveness. They'll realize their need for his daily grace. They will be quick to confess their sin to God and those they have sinned against and turn from it. Has your child made a profession of faith in Christ for salvation? Are these four markers evident and obvious in the life of your child? The point of all of this is God does and God will continue to save children and many of them at a young age. But as parents, we cannot give our children a false sense of assurance because they prayed a prayer when they were five. God calls us to be faithful to evangelize our children, teach them the gospel diligently, train them in obedience, make every moment a teaching moment, faithfully pointing out their sin and encouraging them in their obedience, but then to be patient and allow the Spirit to work out the fruit of genuine saving faith in their hearts, in His time, and in His way. Questions? I think that's the danger, right? Is that in us telling them what to say and even guiding them in that prayer, it's not a confession of faith from their mouth, right? It's something that we're putting into them to say. So that is the danger. So I think for Julie and I, we just always took those as opportunities to talk through the gospel. Like you say you believe this. What is the gospel? How do you understand the gospel? What does someone need to know and believe to be saved? And we just use that as an opportunity to rehearse the gospel together. We never wanted to discourage them from it, but we never wanted to affirm something that we couldn't guarantee, you know? So I think if we view our kids as evangelism, whether they've made a profession of faith in Christ or not, whether they've prayed a prayer or not, we need to view them as evangelism. We need to continue to teach them and train them in the same ways that we do pre-Christ. So I know that I think I think with Ashlyn, I prayed with her. I didn't tell her what to pray, but I remember praying with her and maybe even Hunter. I can't remember. I don't know that we actually had that moment with Kenna necessarily. But so yeah, it's not so much the prayer, right? The prayer is necessary to communicate with God. But I think there was kind of a generation where it was all about the prayer and asking Jesus into your heart, you know, and those are dangerous things for us to affirm in the life of a child. That's giving them false sense of assurance of salvation. Does that make sense? Yeah. Kind of along those lines, if, let's say we have a, one of our kiddos here in the next year or two, our oldest right now is five, and let's say he comes to us and says, hey, you know, I... Uh, I prayed or I accepted Jesus into my heart or, or something along those lines uh, when he was very young. How do you, I mean, obviously in that moment, I don't want to, like, belittle that, but I also don't want to, like, really affirm something that may or may not be true. What is, how is, how do you respond to that as a parent to a really young child? Yeah, I think in that moment you should be excited for them and encourage them in that. But I think then moving forward, you know, as you as you have opportunities to teach them, whether it's through discipline or whatever, 
I think then we need to say, you know, you profess faith in Christ. Well, this is what that means for you. Like, you need to obey mommy and daddy in this instance. When we give you an instruction, you need to do what we say when we say it. That's a marker of somebody who's been saved. So even that is just rehearsing the gospel with them. You know, maybe it is a form of affirmation, but I think it's encouraging them in it, what they've professed, but also reminding them of the truth of the gospel. You know, and if you say that you believe this and that Christ has changed your heart, then it needs to be evident in the way that you live your life. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. What if you have a child that claims they've made a confession of faith, but they frequently bring up their um, fear of hell? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not sure we've ever dealt with that, really. Um... I think I would probably focus on the heart being anxious for things that are outside of our control. We've definitely dealt with that with our kids. Like fear is, it comes from not being in control of something, right? So I think you just need to remind them that our hearts don't have to be anxious about these things if we're trusting in Christ. Like he relieves these fears. If we're in Christ, we have the hope and the promise that eternal death doesn't await us. That life with Christ awaits us. So I would probably address more the anxiousness of the heart and the fear, this, that sin in general, more specifically than actually at that age, probably talking about death. So I think for a lot of kids, the fear of death is what pushes them to make a profession of faith, right? I know I was afraid of hell when I was a kid. Um, yeah, I think maybe focusing more on the specific sin of anxiousness or fear is maybe a better way to go about it with a kid. And as you address that attitude of the heart, it will naturally help to relieve the fears, specifically of hell or whatever it might be, thunderstorms or, you know. Is that helpful? I think so. Maybe. There again, it's just an opportunity for us to rehearse the gospel together, right? It's an opportunity for us to say, if we're in Christ, we don't have to fear eternal death. It just seems like her her fear of hell is much greater than yeah. her, you know, hope and joy in the gospel. Yeah. Hard to flip it. Yeah. And that's probably just natural for the sinful heart of a child, right? We tend to elevate our fears over our joys. Even as adults, we do that at times. But <clears throat> Other thoughts or questions? Yes, sorry. I'm not a parent, but yeah. when your kid does proclaim a profession of faith, but they don't show signs of it, how do you talk them through that? Or you don't want to say you're not a believer, but how would you handle that situation? Yeah, again, I think it would just be an opportunity for you to remind them that we profess faith in Christ. If we say we're a Christ follower, this is what our life will look like. Mm-hmm. So it's just being intentional in those moments of discipline, I think, to remind them that we need to walk in obedience. And for kids, it's simple in that all they've been instructed to do is obey mom and dad. You can say this is God's most clear way for you to show that you're saved, is obey mom and dad. And if you're doing that, you can be encouraged that there's signs of fruit in your life. That's what I would do. Anyone else? I hope this is encouraging to you guys. We need to be intentional in our time. We have 18 years to teach them and to train them. 
And every moment we need to be instilling the truths of the gospel in them. And we never want them to leave our home thinking something that's not true. And we never want it to be because of things that we affirmed in their life that weren't for real, right? So this is so important that we think through this and pray through this as husband and wife and are intentional in our conversations with our kids. We never want to squash what they might say is is them believing in the gospel, right? It is possible that they're saved. Um, but we never want to affirm that either to give them a false sense of assurance of salvation. So if you have questions along the way in the years to come, I'd love to talk to you guys about it. Love to be that resource for you. But this book is helpful. We talked about some of the things in it, but you're, I know we have it in the resource center. You're welcome to take it home and read through it. I know it served Julie and I well, so I hope it would do the same for you. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your wisdom that you give to us. pray that you would help the desire of our heart to be uh, to walk in obedience to you, to be found faithful with the stewardship that you have entrusted to us and the souls of our children. We know that their salvation is out of our control. And that's hard for us as parents. We have to trust you with that. But we can be found faithful to do what you have asked us to do in teaching them the truths of the gospel. And then praying diligently and faithfully that your spirit would do that work of taking those seeds that have been planted and causing them to bear fruit in their life. I know that it's our desire that our kids would be saved at a young age, that they would be spared from so much sin and yuck that takes place in our world, especially for young people as they leave the home and, and get involved in the sin of the world. And so we pray that you would spare them from that and that you would save them at a young age, that they would desire to walk in obedience to you. We're thankful that we can encourage one another in this, that we can be a part of Grace Bible Church together. We know our kids are receiving good teaching here from your word that the, the truth of the gospel is being planted in their hearts. And so we ask that your spirit would bear fruit. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks all.